Hello, Conspirituality Podcast listeners. Welcome to a sample of a Patreon bonus episode. We release these every week for our subscribers. They're usually solo essays from our team. It costs $5 a month for access, and the support helps to keep us ad-free and editorially independent. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash conspirituality. Thank you. So when I am sick, right, chronically sick, what do I get? I get compassion built in to my life from others who pity me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And who offer me that surrogate hit of love. I get n- to say no without having to actually learn to assert my boundaries and express my desires in this clear and direct way because of course I'm limited by my illness. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I get to say no all the time. I get to experience the validation of this felt sense of wrongness and brokenness that's always lived within me. All of my patients told me the first time they got a diagnosis, they felt like, see, I knew something was wrong with me. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it ends up being like the prison number, you know, that's put on their vest, but it feels in the moment like it's somebody finally seeing their hurt. And when, you know, we end up over identifying with that wound, with the cancer diagnosis, with the, you know, the mental illness. (laughs) (laughs) There there it is. (laughs) It's so infuriating. It's amazing. And it's thick too. So, so what I've done is I've got the, uh, I've got the transcript here and we can take a look at it because she goes so fast through I would say about 50 years of ideology. She's a really good distiller of Louise Hay, of, you know, um, the the Course in Miracles, of Marianne Williamson, of The Power of Now. She's like, she's she's really, really good. So, So just sentence by sentence. First of all, she conflates compassion with pity. She says... The, the whole the whole premise um i mean well let's go back before that she asks the question when i am sick what do i get have you recognize do you recognize this construction um in kind of pop psychology what is this what is this from i've heard this before oh it's the work it's byron katie kind of stuff it's it's that you have chosen to be sick because you want something unconsciously. You know that you're going to get something out of it. It gives you some advantage, right? It's not, you're not actually victimized. In fact, you're getting something out of it. You're just doing it in a dishonest way. Right. And that's, that's Byron Katie. Okay. And, but Byron Katie has an antecedent, uh, she, that she copped a lot of her stuff from, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I do think you're absolutely right, but I'm wondering what else comes before that that's related to. Well, I don't know if it's, if it's, um, the Christian science notion that everything is already perfect. And so any, any illness is really a failure to accurately perceive God's divine perfection because everything is God and therefore everything is perfect. Right. And so you are to blame and then maybe the next step is, well, then why would you be create? Why would you be willfully creating that distortion? It must be because you think there's something in it for you. I don't. I don't know who else you might be thinking of. Yeah, I'm just. I mean, I guess you're right that Byron Katie is the most sort of cogent formulator, or or the one who really psychologizes that next step, right? Yeah, because Byron, Byron Katie on on more than one occasion is willing to sit in front of a room full of people and answer questions where people are actually challenging her and say, no, 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 absolutely. The person standing in line to go into the, uh, the gas chamber, 
should be able to say it's a beautiful day. Right. Right. Otherwise, you know, they just don't get it. They don't. They don't get what I'm teaching. They they don't get what I'm teaching, but they also don't understand that um, that they've that because they've put themselves into that position somehow. Yes. That their job is to now understand why and to understand what the payoff is. This is another word that comes off. Like yes. that I've I've heard in that discourse is is okay. So so you um you know. You're upset because your husband is cheating on you. Well, what's the payoff? Yeah. I've heard that in pop psychology sort of new age totally. circles as well. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Yeah. And maybe this maybe this goes back to like Est. Maybe it goes back to like the encounter groups, right? right. And that and that's somehow part of part of, you know, and the transactional analysis kind of stuff that if that that you're playing a role, you're getting right? Because transactional analysis is that whole like parent child. It's the it's it's either you're coming from a parent place or a child place. The child feels victimized, the child feels disempowered, the parent is judging and authoritarian, but the healthy place to be as the adult who recognizes I have agency and I must be getting some kind of payoff out of pretending to be the child who's victimized in this situation. Right, exactly. I mean, her her dances around parent-child dynamics are pretty constant, so I imagine that might be an influence. So what do I get is her question, and then she answers it for herself with a conflation between two things. She says, I get compassion built into my life from others who pity me. This blows my mind. This sentence, I get compassion built into my life from others who pity me. What the fuck is going on there? I mean, I understand that you either don't understand what compassion is or what pity yeah. is, but yeah. within the same sentence, to 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 equalize those two things is extraordinary. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, I I hear a defensive posture that essentially says that the longing that someone might feel for relational empathy, compassion, even. Pity. I, I don't necessarily have a negative connotation with that word um, from others because you are suffering. That there is something about that that is inherently um, shameful or immature or dishonest, and that 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 if you were really sort of awakened or or self aware enough in the way that she's uh, alluding to, you wouldn't need that. And you wouldn't you wouldn't sort of play these games to get that that com- that needing compassion is a sign of of being less than. That's what I hear. Right. And and t- so to me, that's the kind of philosophy that someone spouts if they are deeply deeply conflicted about ever uh, feeling helpless or victimized or you know needing needing care. Although, I mean. This is a this is a caregiver by profession. Yeah, I, I imagine that I imagine that some of the criticism that she's had of her training from Cornell and MIT is that uh, the clinical coldness and the distance and the sort of you know alienation and the you know prescriptive protocols and the best practices that all interrupt you know uh, doctor patient relationship um, are all very. Um, they obstruct a kind of compassion. Yeah, that they're they're reductionistic, they're cold, they're they're lacking in in good bedside manner, et cetera, right? Right. But she's talking just about other people here. she's she's not I can understand problematizing compassion 
when you're criticizing a patriarchal or an authoritarian system, right? That it that it could have this feeling of yeah, pity or mm. uh, you you need to be saved or condescension, right? Mm. But but um, but surely the the notion that you would feel uh, for a person who is ill and that that would be a natural response and something that should actually happen between human beings. Mm-hmm. And when it happens between human beings, it leads to care. It leads to consideration. It leads to, you know, uh, accommodations. And so why would that be? Why I, I don't understand why that would be rejected, why, why that would be off the table. 